Hi there, and welcome to another episode of African Business Stories. Africa is the only region in the world where more women than men choose to be entrepreneurs. What this says to me is that the story of business in Africa is the story of the African businesswoman. So we're on a journey of discovery to find these women and tell their stories. On the show, we will hear from female innovators and entrepreneurs building and running businesses in Africa. They will share the highs and lows of their entrepreneurial journey and lessons learned along the way. Some of these women you may know and many you may not, but I assure you that all their stories are inspiring in their own right. My hope is that these stories will inspire you to reach for your dreams and leave a legacy for generations to come. It makes such a big difference to us if you can rate, review, and share our episodes. You can do this mainly on Apple Podcasts, and you can find us on all podcast platforms. If you're in Africa, Spotify is now available, so check us out there. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. On the show today, I chat with Nkemdilim Owaje Bego, the founder and CEO of FutureSoft Nigeria, a leading digital and technology solutions company, and co-founder of SkillUp Africa, a company focused on training and helping Africans launch their tech careers. She's also the co-founder of Always Me, a children's fashion brand based out of Lagos, Nigeria. We talked about how she transitioned from biotech to providing digital solutions, what personal branding looks like for an entrepreneur, the need to close the digital skills gap in Africa, how she manages serial entrepreneurship in multiple sectors, and so much more. Let's get into it. Hi, Nkem. Welcome to African Business Stories. Hi, Akaigo. How are you? Thank you for having me. Awesome. Great. Um, so, yeah, I just want to get right into it. I know that you're half Nigerian, half German, and um, you spent your life in both places. Maybe you can share some of the greatest lessons you learned from, from your parents. Okay, sure. Um, so I think I would say the biggest lesson that I learned from my parents is impact and giving back, making a change in your immediate community. So both of them have been dedicated to community service for as long as I can remember. And they dragged us along like, oh, come, we're commissioning a well and we're doing this <laughs> in school. And it just showed us how different our realities were from the realities of people who are, you know, maybe in our neighborhoods or a little bit further away, but in the cities that we that we live in, right? And mm. I think for me that has really impacted how I live my life and the type of work that I choose to do and the fact that all my work, regardless of whether it is within tech or um, you know charity work that I do, everything is focused on impact, on changing lives and mm. on empowering people to be able to be better and to change their lives and be able to also impact other people right uh, my dad mm. always says you need to be a candle and you need to not just shine the way but also light other other candles as you go along right um, I think for me that's really the biggest lesson I'm sure everybody and you also know that um, you know my dad is a big influence in terms of you know me being in tech um, yeah. both 
both my sisters work in tech as well. We're three girls. All of us work <laughs> in tech. Wow. The funny thing is that, you know, I, a lot of the time I reference my dad and, you know, one of my sisters called me out on that and she was like, but dude, you know that mom played a massive role because she mm. was that, that mom that, you know, made sure that, first of all, knew how to fix things, right? So if there's anything broken in the house, don't call dad because he really doesn't know how to fix anything. <laughs> call mom. She will fix the video. She'll fix the TV. She'll fix the clock, the telephone, anything that's really broken, right? And I think, you know, just not being limited by the narrative that, oh, this is for girls or or that is for boys, right? It was right. always, well, you're a person, you're a human being, you should be able to do these things and you can do anything that you that you really want. And I think, you know, my mom truly embodies that for all of us, right? Where we believe that we can fly simply because she believes that we can fly, you know? And I think my dad is just the the catalyst that ensured that there was always technology around. And if you've met him before, you'll know that you can have a conversation about fashion, about football, about, um, I don't know, politics, and it will end in technology, right? So... <laughs> We always have bets and wagers going on at family um, dinners and like Christmas and stuff like that. Can we have an evening without a tech discussion? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he wins all the time because, you know, he will just go from, oh, yes, but, you know, there's now AI that, you know, shows football players how to, you know, train better. And we're like, oh, gosh, wow. <laughs> Here we go again. Um, and I think because we're all tech and we're all nerdy, that also then, you know, sort of the conversation then, like, we take that bait and jump on it. And then it's truly just about technology um, from from there on, right? So, so yeah, so I think both my parents have been really big influences in terms of mm-hmm. um, who I am and taught us a lot of lessons. And, and I think a lot of the, the lessons really are about impact and independence and being the change in in the world that's awesome so I guess it's no surprise that you you then went on to to study um, in technology but I found your course very fascinating bioinformatics what what's that <laughs> and what was your plan so so I think the easiest way to describe it is a double major in um, computer science and biology at the time it was still brand new my class was the second class doing this course at my university. Um, So, you know, it was pretty exciting to do the course and and to just learn stuff. And I was lucky enough to also get a um, a student job in a research institute. So I was working as a programmer while I was studying. Um, And then after that, I also worked in um, a pharmaceutical company as a programmer, and I was working on um, developing chemical compound databases to speed up drug discovery, Um, you know, so it's been a very interesting journey. In a nutshell, it is pretty much you learn how to write code and how to create algorithms to solve um, sort of problems within the biotech space. and which was very new at the time, right? So I think mm. now it's super advanced and, I mean, super exciting. But this was 2002, so this was when, you know, they had just sequenced the, the genome and, you know, they were 
doing all sorts of different algorithms to find patterns in um, mm. genetic base pairs and stuff like that. So it was very exciting, very new, very different. And yeah, so, so that's what I studied. <laughs> it seemed like you had this great career ahead of you in, in biotech at the time. Um, so, so why did you move back to Nigeria? Um, so I, I think the main thing is I was just simply homesick. I was oh. just like, I don't understand this cold weather. I don't understand, um, you know, and, and I grew up in Nigeria, right? So even though I went to a German school in Nigeria, um, it was still home, right? So I then came back under the guise that I need to do my NYSC. Right. The responsible thing to do. And yeah, I've been here ever since. Um, and And I think when I moved back, um, I was really lucky to work in a in a tech startup. So I still had my my job in Germany in the pharma company, and I used to work remotely. Don't ask me how, because I mean, <laughs> internet connection was terrible. Back what then. year was that? Two thousand and six. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, this was like um, you know GPRS modems. <laughs> Yeah. And stuff. it was when the dongos had just come out for all the different um, telco companies and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so it, it was, it, I was really fortunate to find a startup that they were focused on building a local version of the Linux um, operating system. I, and I had used Linux all through, um, you know, university and because every thing in terms of coding was command line so you know like I, I was just like if it's a windows computer i don't want it i need a linux computer because windows just doesn't you know like you can't really i mean now you can but back then it was linux for if you really want to code you have your linux right. so it was really exciting to sort of see a localized version of that and you know we were working on translating um, the entire os into Ibo, Yoruba, and Hausa, and so it's really, really exciting stuff. Um, and yeah, and then I did my NYSC, and you know, after that, I just decided from just having that glimpse into, um, you know, a startup, I was just like, this is cool, and I think I can do this as well. And one of the things that bothered me so much when I moved back, so my friend when we graduated gave me a shirt that said powered by Google because that was sort of like my dream company to to work in, right? And I think that if I didn't start FutureSoft, I would have probably become a Googler at some point. Right. So it also sort of spoke to the fact that I used to Google everything. Um, so when I came back to Nigeria, I'll Google like Italian restaurant and it says zero results found. And <laughs> You know, um, that for me was just like, I don't understand why are these companies and restaurants and businesses not online, right? Um, so I decided to start a company that created websites and um, offered hosting solutions because mm -hmm. most people still had Yahoo addresses, Gmail addresses. And, you know, I was just like, this is not how the rest of the world operates. You guys need to have your own domain name and you have to have your own website. And I mean, I, there were a lot of people who just laughed at me and were just like, okay, there's one man who said, young girl, I've been making money before you were born. What is this your website going to do for me? Right. And I'm just like, well, I can't tell you how much more money you're going to make with it, but 
it can definitely create the visibility that your business needs to sort of get to the next level, right? And he just started laughing because to him, that was just not tangible enough, right? So the market was in its very, very early days when I, when I started. So, so were you, did you start this company while you were still at the startup or did you leave the startup? So just talk us through the, you know, the whole process of moving into this I'm assuming this is the first iteration of what future self looks like today. Um, yeah. But yeah, so how did you make that transition? When I finished NYSC, I took three months off to um, figure out what I wanted to do. And within those three months, I was working on my business plan um, okay. for FutureSoft and figuring out, you know, what are the solutions I want to offer? Um, what do I need for it? And things like that. Um, but I was still working in my job in Germany on a part-time basis, right? So that job actually, three years into FutureSoft, I still had that job, wow. right? So that was also one of the reasons why I never really had to look for investment or anything like that, right? Because I was able to take part of the money I was earning to fund the business um, and to start the business. And also because even though it was not common, I insisted that... I don't need an office. All I need is a website and a, and a business card, right? Um, and I mean, at the time, everybody was just like, this girl is not serious and she's a bit crazy. Like, who does that? Who works from home? <laughs> Welcome to 2021. I know, I know right? <laughs> so, so I was a bit of a you know, visionary, if I may say so myself. Yeah. Um, and it was actually funny when the pun, because... So I worked from home for a really long time. And then, you know, when I started having, so I had mostly, my team was remote for the majority of the time. It was maybe until like five years into the future soft journey where I decided, okay, maybe I need some, you know, physical employees. Um, simply because I realized that client management was a big part of, of, of the work. And I realized that clients were simply not ready for that remote management. So that's when we then started building the team. So that's when I started having an actual office, right? Um, so when we went back to working from home because of the pandemic, I was just like, oh, I miss this. <laughs> what I was called to do, right? We've been home for a year now and mm. we're still up and running. I'm just like, okay, so I've now paid rent again. I don't know, do I really need this office space or not? Obviously there are parts of you know remote working that, cannot replace physical you know interaction yeah. right and I think that a lot of culture and team building and bonding actually happens in the physical space and you have to you know sort of be really intentional um, to recreate that in a virtual environment in order for it to be successful and I think uh, a lot of businesses are struggling with that mm -hmm. and will go back to probably some type of blended model yeah. where you can um, you know sort of do so you start off building websites and hosting for people. Um, so talk to us about what where FutureSoft is now, you know, and the different things that 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 FutureSoft does today. Okay, so um, FutureSoft has basically evolved from this web development um, and web hosting company into a full fledged three hundred and sixty digital marketing um, company. Um, and one of the things that I always used to do throughout was to do IT consultancy. Okay. Um, and at the time, I didn't quite know it, but 
it was digital transformation work, right? Going into an organization, auditing the organization and sort of making recommendations in terms of this is what you need to put in place in order to automate your processes, in order to get rid of all this paper and, you know, sort of um, stuff that you have. Um, and we've continued to do that. So now we call it digital transformation consultancy, but it was IT consultancy for a really long time. Um, you know, and it's something that has just really stayed on and it's something that I'm extremely passionate about. So those are sort of the two key focus areas that we, that we have at FutureSoft. In terms of knowledge sharing, I know that you, you publish this trends every year, marketing and communication trends for SMEs in, in Africa. Um, a lot of times we see these publications that are global, but I, I'm always very interested with things that are specific to, to the continent. And if you can just share a few of these trends, I mean, I'll, I'll post a link to the actual publication you did, but just for the benefit of those listening, you know, what kind of uh, marketing and communication trends should SMEs be looking out for? Okay, um, so I think the biggest trend is really um, a focus on integrated marketing communications, where it is not only about digital marketing, not only about traditional marketing, and not only about PR. And what we're seeing a lot of the time is that organizations sort of still have separate budgets and separate approaches and multiple agencies that they're working with as opposed to having you know sort of either a, a, an a multiple agencies that come as a partnership and that work on strategy together and then implement um, uh, so that you really have that sort of holistic holistic approach to your marketing and not just an approach where it's sort of disjointed and you're like oh yeah this is digital this is traditional this is PR and this is comms Right. I also think that data is playing an even bigger role in in um, in marketing. Right. So there's a lot of data driven segmentation and targeting that is happening now um, that allows you to also personalize a lot of your marketing and, and really speak to each and every customer in terms of the needs that they have. Right. So you can really tailor the customer journey to to who the consumer is. I think also you know, especially with the pandemic, we've seen that the consumer behavior has changed drastically where mm. consumers care about who you are as a company, who your people are and what they stand for. So brands have to really show much more empathy. Um, they have to be much more authentic. They have to really focus on highlighting what they do as their social responsibility. Use those things to drive brand loyalty, right? So people are now harder to win over if you don't stand for something, right? Um, and, and we're seeing that with brands asking, well, okay, so how, you know, eco-friendly is your product? Um, you know, what are you doing to help the environment? What are you doing to also impact your direct community? In Africa, they're asking those questions in Africa? Yes. So, if you, so for example, if you look at, um, you know, when all the different organizations were donating to um, the COVID relief, right, there were a lot of people who were celebrating the brands that they patronize 
um, that had contributed, whether it was through building a um, an isolation center or whether it was through, you know, making test kits available or by giving out, um, you know, sort of food um, to, to communities or doing outreaches um, and, and, you know, different things. So it is becoming more and more important. And when you sort of follow the conversations, especially on Twitter, where you have conversations that are being had by millennials and Gen Z customers, you will really see that they are passionate about brands that have a purpose, right? Um, and, and that they are really, you know, sort of very inquisitive when it comes to, okay, but you didn't support this cause. So we're not going to you know, patronize you because we want to patronize a brand that did support X, Y, Z, right? right. Um, so, so, so I think it's 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 going to become even more um, relevant, you know. And brands need to start thinking about how they position for that. Customer experience is also something that is becoming more and more important, and really thinking about how you can automate. Um, a lot of your, um, you know, sort of customer touch points and ensure that you sort of have 24-hour um, representation by using AI and chatbots and, you know, sort of marketing automation to ensure that that customer journey is as seamless as, as possible, right? Um, and, and what we're seeing a lot of the time is that there is focus on customer experience on paper, but when it comes to the actual implementation, a lot of it is focused on actually increasing the bottom line as opposed to mm. ensuring that the customer um, experience is um, as seamless as possible. So, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of brands fail um, with that approach of not prioritizing customer experience and sort of focusing on, on the wrong on the wrong metric, right? Your bottom line is great, and yes, you should be focused on it, but an amazing customer experience will help you grow that bottom line, right? So you need to not only think about how do I get more money from this customer, but how do I ensure that this customer is totally happy um, with the process and how do I make that process um, as easy as possible? And I think as the last you know, sort of trend and, and last point that we're seeing is really you have to be agile as a brand, right? And you have to um, also collaborate. So what we're seeing more is that there's industry collaboration, collaboration between competitors, um, information and data sharing between competitors. And that also when you are faced by, you know, something like the global pandemic, you may have the best laid plans, but really and truly, those mean nothing um, if you're not able to um, be agile and, and, and nimble. You know, mm. so, so yeah, so I think those are the yeah, key. That's, that's great. I mean, speaking about branding, a lot of my audience are solopreneurs. Mm -hmm. um, so is it possible to speak a little to personal branding? I know that's something that's really important to you. Okay, sure. Um, so I think personal branding is one of those things that is, um, you know, really becoming more and more important in, in this day and age, simply because, as I said earlier, you know, people don't just want to connect with the brand, they want to connect with the person behind the brand, right? So you've probably seen a lot more sort of personal brands popping up in the last, you know, probably two years, right? 
um, where business leaders are really finding these creative and innovative ways to position themselves and their companies. Sort of as a solopreneur or entrepreneur, um, you know, I think building your brand is really, really essential because you have to ensure that you um, position yourself for additional opportunities, right? These opportunities can include, you know, ways to monetize your brand through knowledge products for example and that could be you know maybe some type of paid training it could be an online course it could be an a book that you write right it could be all sorts of different things that you can use to monetize another type of opportunity is the opportunity to for example sit on a board right a lot of those opportunities are paid opportunities as well right so that's really sort of the bigger picture when you really think about building your personal brand, right? So the first thing you want to be able to do is obviously control the narrative. Um, you want to also align your brand with your overall goals and really position yourself for these bigger and better opportunities and ensure that when people Google you, they get the right impression, right? Um, and, and they find the right information that allows them to really say, oh, okay, this is this type of person. Oh, this is what they can help with. And this is what they're good at. This is what they, they're focused on. Um, and this is how maybe we can be able to, to collaborate, right? So when it comes to how do you start building that personal brand, I think there are sort of two key pillars, right? Ijama Balugun, who is the CEO of Rhetoric PR and myself, launched a personal branding service last year, um, when the pandemic started, because we had, you know, we just, the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, there were so many people who were like, oh, I'm an expert in properties. I'm an expert in um, investments. I'm an expert in this. And, you know, you could see that they were really trying to position themselves as these thought leaders and experts, but they, when you then search them, you start seeing, you know, pictures of their wedding or pictures of them at a party and, it just didn't fit together, right? So you tell me you're an expert, but there's nothing experty about you, right? There's no written content. There's no video content. When I search you, all I'm finding is this stuff that has nothing to do with you being an expert, right? right. Um, so, you know, we kept sort of talking about what we were seeing and noticing, um, and we worked together um, on delivering integrated marketing communications um, strategies and, and also implementing them for um, corporate brands. And, you know, one day I said to her, I said, let's start doing this for individuals because um, it's the same process, right? You have to create a strategy and then you implement it. And really the two pillars of personal branding are digital and PR, right? So digital plays a really big role because it's like the cornerstone of your brand building, um, you know, whether it's personal or corporate. Um, but, you know, you need to have a digital presence. Um, and the PR is also, um, you know, very key because you have to have the right messaging pillars. You have to have the right communication out there. You need to be on the right type of platforms, um, you know, and you need to, be on the right type of, um, you know, sort of programs as well um, and, you know, ensure that you engage in the right way in order to really position yourself for, you know, whatever it is that your, your goals are. Um, so that has been actually quite successful. And, you know, we've been able to service six different clients in the last, you know, sort of maybe like eight months or so. Um, 
And, you know, for us, that was like, because we had always sort of said, we don't want to do individuals, but we've changed our mind because it's been very, very rewarding. And just seeing what the people have been able to do with the strategies, um, the, you know, sort of digital and PR plans that we've been able to put together for them has been so rewarding and so amazing because, you know, like when you see someone really dig their heels in and really sort of accelerate their personal brand journey. It's just amazing, you know, to know that you were able to play a part in that, I think is is very rewarding. The same way, um, you know, with a corporate brand, but a lot of the time with a corporate brand, you know, it's sort of like, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, Whereas with a personal brand, it's something that's a little bit more new. Um, A lot of people are still struggling with, there are people out there like us who are experts in brand building and, you know, the the principles are the same. Mm. Uh, And and you just have to be consistent, be intentional, be disciplined, um, follow your messaging pillars, follow the, you know, sort of brand story and narrative that you've set. When you're intentional about it, it's, you know, with anything, right? You have a strategy, you have a plan that you're following. The results come much faster than when you're sort of just like, let me try this. And then you're like, oh, this blogging didn't work, but you only wrote two blog posts. Oh, I did a podcast, but I only did one episode. Nobody listened to it. Well, nobody knows you, right? So just learning that you have to persevere and you know really be consistent with, with your efforts is also really important when it comes to personal branding. And I think especially as entrepreneurs, there's so much more value that you can unlock for yourself if you position yourself, right? Whether it is to be able to engage in policy or whether it is to, like I said, sit on a board or monetize the knowledge that you have yeah. you know, by, by just sharing it. And that just allows you to unlock much more also financial freedom for yourself right <laughs> of course so you talked about the the gentleman who who was asking what this website would do for his business it is it's it's always interesting that the challenges that businesses face when you're introducing new products to the market are there other challenges that you you faced in, in growing your business um in nigeria over the last few years um yeah so i, I think the main Thing is market readiness right and it's an ongoing problem um, mm. that you need to address with a lot of consumer education and you know at some point you know even with the websites I realized that the approach I was taking where I'm just like hey let me build your website was simply not working and I really needed an approach of let me explain to you what a website is and what it can do for your business and the type of information that you would put on there and why you would do it and show you examples. So there was a lot of education, right? And I realized that I had to go to three, four meetings before people would close, right? Obviously, over the years, this has changed. Um, and I think a really big sort of change happened when Konga and Jumia came into the market, I think right. it's now eight years ago or so. Um, when they came into the market, we doubled our client base without doing anything differently, simply because people were now coming to us to say, you build websites. I mean, mm-hmm. You've been doing it for a long time. We need you to build one for us, right? And so what I've learned is that there are external influences that can sort of slow down or accelerate a market. Right. Right? COVID is one of them. You know, um, last year was our best year at FutureSoft. I know it was a terrible year for a lot of other people. For us, it was a fantastic year um, with fantastic opportunities and fantastic clients and projects that we were able to work on. 
simply because people were like, oh my God, we're not ready. We need you now. You've been telling us this thing for the past two years and we haven't listened. So we need to listen now, right? And I think that that, you know, are things that you can't really sort of predict. And as we go along, there will always be, you know, sort of these, the lack of, of market readiness because you are trying to be innovative. You're trying to, you know, Right. push technology um you know that is globally relevant and you know methods that are globally relevant um and the market here simply is in a lot of areas still a little bit behind right mm-hmm. um, but there are companies who are exploring these new sort of new technology trends new digital marketing trends and who are you know looking for agencies like ours to actually execute that right um they're also in terms of like case studies and stuff there's really not much here so we're also trying to create a lot of localized content and content that is based on case studies that we've created and generated um projects that we've been able to work on um, and stuff like yeah, that. That's excellent. You know, you, you you talked about education, which is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today. So I know you spend a lot of time working in the education space and writing and putting out blogs. And you set up this new company, Skill Up Africa. So talk to us about your goals and what you aim to achieve through Skill Up Africa. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I found I co-founded Skill Up Africa um, together with Joseph Agumbiade, who is co-founder of Budget and founder of University um, last year. And the entire premise of Skill Up Africa is to enable student loans for people who want to study tech-related courses but don't have the funds to do so, right? So we look for people who are really, really smart, who pass our assessment and, 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 and our interviews and who we then place in training partner um, organizations to be trained um, as programmers. So whether it's front-end, back-end, full-stack, data scientists, data analysts, product managers, you know, project managers, any type of tech-related job, right? Um, Because there's some really interesting, um, you know, statistics around the lack of technology workers, right? And sort of the deficit that there is on a global basis, right? And we basically are are looking to sort of solve that problem um, and ensure that we can really create a sustainable way of building technology talent, right? Because what we've seen is that a lot of the models that are available sort of focus on, okay, we will fund you to come and learn, right? But then at some point you run out of money, right? And we basically want to make sure that you take a loan, you learn, you find a job, and you start earning and you pay back. You create an opportunity for another person to be trained with those same funds, right? Um, So, you know, we sort of look at ourselves as an impact investment platform that allows Africans to invest in developing top technology talent in Africa, right? Um, And the reason behind this is that there is a massive talent gap um, that we're looking to close. There's a statistic from Corn Ferry that says by 2030, there'll be a global shortage of 85 million tech workers, which represents $8.5 trillion in lost annual revenue 
right? So there's a huge opportunity for the continent to leverage the huge youth population that, you know, Africa has and ensuring that we also are ready to participate in the knowledge and digital economy, which I think is really critical for sustainable economic development. And we also focus on ensuring that, you know, uh, because I'm involved, <laughs> uh, for me, it's important to get more a more balanced picture of people in technology. So between 40 and 50% of the student loans are reserved for women. And we've done a pilot cohort last year where we basically were able to give out um, 10 scholarships and this year we're looking to do 100. You know, so it's it's really exciting. Last year we had 40% female participation. This year I've tasked the team to ensure that we are at 50% so that we have equal representation um, because I believe that there are definitely a lot of smart women who, um, you know, should take these opportunities. Technology is the future. Um, and if we want to get rid of, you know, sort of technology bias that, um, you know, that gets embedded into code because the code is being written by predominantly men, then we need to ensure that we have female programmers, right. female product managers, female software engineers, female, um, you know, product designers, project managers all around, right? Um, so, yeah, so that's like my newest baby um, and a very exciting um project the vision is to sort of once we have proof of concept and once we're able to figure out um you know sort of like where the funds are going to come from we um, intend to sort of roll this out across the continent and ensure that this model you know um, which obviously we will refine as we go along but we know that it's a sustainable model so that we can build technology talent faster than through the traditional process, right? Um, Because I think that the traditional process through educational institutions like universities simply is very flawed because a lot of African universities still have very outdated curriculum, right? So, and then it takes too long as well, right? We need talent today. We don't need it in four or five or six or seven years because universities are on strike and whatnot, right? Um, we need people who can be trained within with a you know sort of really intense training program within three months, six months, twelve months, and then can start entering the workforce to get the experience so that in the next five years they are senior devs and they are senior product managers and senior product designers right We need to simply get to that point where we accelerate that mm-hmm. development of that sustainable talent pipeline because if we don't we're going to just simply be left behind because we don't even have people who can build solutions for us, right? And we'll continue to look at India, at Estonia and, you know, um, Bangladesh for for developers, for designers um, and stuff like that, which, you know, to me simply defeats the purpose because our unemployment rates will continue to grow. And I think apart from, you know, creating the opportunity to become tech workers and be participate and participate in the digital economy, we also allow people to actually change their standard of living completely, right? And I think technology really is the only field where you can go from earning, let's say, 75,000 Naira 
today to in one year earning over 300,000 Naira, right? There is no other profession where you can accelerate um, your potential to earn simply by acquiring additional knowledge, right? Um, Technology allows you to do that, and not just in Nigeria, but on a global scale, right? We see, um, you know, in America, blockchain developers, you know, earning so much money simply because they are, they're not that many of them, right? Which means that you really have that really small, you know, number of individuals who can build technology, right? So the more you specialize and the more you um, you learn and the fast, the more experience you have as well, the faster you, we can get you into the job market, the faster your, you know, sort of like exponential growth in, in your ability to earn, you know, gets created. And the fact that with virtual and remote work, which is obviously through COVID has become mainstream and where organizations are now saying, well, I'm not limited to my country. I can fish in the global talent pool, right? That also means that Nigerians can earn the same salary as a developer in Canada without actually being in Canada, right? right? Means that we can create wealth without having to have a brain drain and see the majority of our talent leave our shores, right? And I think Andela has done a fantastic job in demonstrating that this is possible and and I think also done a fantastic job in in training talent right and giving that talent opportunities and also you know sort of opening the eyes of people within the local market to say oh so we can have local technology talent we don't need to fly in people from India right and what we saw during the pandemic because there were restrictions with air travel is that so many projects have to be put on hold because, oh, the guys from SA can't come in, the guys from India can't come in, the guys from the UK can't come in, right? And that shows you the high level of dependency that we have as a country and as a private sector on foreign technology talent, which means that it is key and critical at this point to start building our own technology talent to ensure that that technology talent has access to work experience so that they can become, you know, just as skilled as global counterparts, right? And that we ensure that we as organizations also, you know, sort of prioritize using Nigerian service providers so that those companies can also um, scale. So there's, you know, sort of like a lot of different um, motivations behind building um, you know, technology talent pipeline. But for me, the biggest one is really the fact that if we don't do this now, we're just simply going to be left behind um, when it comes to the digital economy and when it comes to the fourth industrial revolution. And I think that this is Africa's chance to really catapult ourselves out of poverty, catapult ourselves out of the, the situation that we are in as nations where unemployment is high, especially within the youth segment, and we have this growing youth population, and, and we have high crime rates because there's no there are no jobs, and you know people need to eat, right? So why not figure out how do we collectively mm. invest into building sustainable technology talent? Because the training centers are there, you know, the, 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 the experts who can do the trainings are there. You know, the trainings can even be done remotely. 
what the funds for people to attend these training centers simply are are non-existent because it is still on a global level cheap but um when it comes to you know sort of nigerian earning power it's extremely expensive for for people to actually go so we're just trying to do our little part and we hope that it can become a big part very soon yeah that's very exciting and i mean we'll be watching out for for that but i i totally agree that it's it's one of the conversations we have where we're looking at the the digital skills gap you know yes you know the population is growing we have the youngest population in the world but do they have the right skills to to compete so in in thinking about what are the skills for the future you know and how do we make sure that our people have those skills and so yeah i think the work that that you're doing through skill up africa is it's needed it's necessary work again in line with the education there's also the mentoring um congratulations on being selected as a mentor for the google startup accelerator what does that entail and and what do you what do you hope to achieve through through that um so i, I do a lot of mentoring through um different organizations so i'm also a mentor in lagos innovates i'm a mentor in women in africa i'm a mentor in the um world summit award network to name a few and um for me mentoring is really about knowledge transfer right it's really about being able to help people um by sharing experiences by sharing knowledge by sharing um you know maybe a different perspective to a particular problem um and allowing them to use that knowledge and use those experiences to accelerate their own learning um and to make sure that they can skip a couple of mistakes that other people have made right and 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 be able to really go to market faster and and build product faster i think as someone who works in technology the importance of technology in every single industry sector is becoming more and more apparent right and yes you can have a mentor you know that maybe teaches you how to do business development or how to raise funds or you know but if you don't have someone sort of mentoring you on your technology journey especially if you don't have a technology background then you know you are most likely going to set yourself up to fail which is why i ensure that i make um you know sort of time available to support programs that are supporting the startup economy right um and startup ecosystem ac- ac- across the world so i i mentor you know local nigerian startups but i also mentor um in a global capacity which i think and pan african capacity which for me is very important because at the end of the day startup founders whether they are in africa in america or somewhere in europe or asia they all face very very similar problems right so you have this big idea you're young and you know excited um but you have no experience and you have no money most of the time right um and and the question there is then how do you get to the point where you have enough experience and you have enough money to actually right. make what you're doing scale right and i've had you know sort of the privilege to have a lot of people who have transferred their knowledge right um and their experiences to me and who have helped me on my journey right and some of them were not necessarily formal mentors um more people who i'm just like hey we're going to be friends because i need to know what you know um and then you know i just built that relationship and try and learn as much as i can and i ask a lot of questions um all the time right and 
um, I realized that there are not a lot of young people, especially young women who are old enough to to just be like, hey, we're going to be friends. Um, so that's why I, I choose to mentor in, you know, sort of through formal networks, because there I can I can engage with people who are already on the journey and who really need it the most and who are at that critical point where they need to refine their pitch deck. They need to learn how to stand in front of an investor. They need to have the confidence to um, go to market. They need to know how to roll out a minimum viable product and how to get some sample data and sample customers and stuff like that, right? And, you know, I mean, these are things that, especially with the digital marketing um, that we do, a lot of it is focused on that. Um, And because, you know, I'm a programmer um, by background, right? it's easy for me to also give advice in terms of how technology solutions should be built. And also from experience of building technology solutions um, and, and products, I know how long things take, right? Some people are like, yeah, yeah, in one month I will have this. And I'm like, yeah, more like two years. How about you build something much smaller, go to market, test it, and, you know, sort of iterate really fast and fail fast and learn fast, right? Without experience from somebody who has done it I think it's really hard because you know the same way that you know I went into building a lot of stuff by thinking oh yeah it will be done in three months or six months is how other people are going into it and and stuff like that so these are experiences that I look to share and then obviously also my experience running a business growing a business going from being the person who implements and executes to being the person who manages, right? And who brings in business and who does strategy. Because I think that that transition um, for a lot of, especially in technology space, for a lot of tech founders is very hard because it it's sort of like, but I love to code and I want to continue coding. Yeah, but your business is not going to grow unless you maybe have a co-founder that's doing that part, right? But if you're, you know, sort of looking to do that part, then you need to be able to let let the coding go. You need to be able to, um, you know, sort of make sure that you have the foundation and the right knowledge to take on this new role, right? Um, especially because when you get funding, you're expected to grow extremely fast which means that as a founder, you also have to grow yourself and your knowledge extremely fast in order to really keep up. Very interesting. Talking about being a founder, you've founded quite a few companies. The first time I, I met you, I didn't even know you were in tech. You have this other business, Always Me, that that does baby clothes and stuff. So I'm always fascinated by, by serial entrepreneurs, especially those that are fully present in all these different businesses. And, and I wonder how you keep all these balls up in the air. I think it's really, you know, you need to learn the art of, of delegation and and figure out how to build strong teams and strong processes. Um, Without those, it's pretty much impossible, right? Um, So you need to figure out how to run these businesses without necessarily being there, right? And how to also get your teams to understand that I am invested in this, but I am not here every day, right? And if you need me, you can call me, but you are not going to see me Till next week, for example, right? And 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 I think just creating a lot of structure. So 
it's it's not easy but one thing that you also have to remember is that I didn't start all of these different businesses at the same time right so I always refer to my businesses as as, as my children right so if Joseph just turned 13 and so that's my teenager skill up is a baby we're not even um we're not even 12 months old yet right so that needs much more attention and it's sort of a different level of attention but the truth is that the same way when you're a first time mom you're like frazzled and crazy and you know you don't really know what to do and you know like you you sort of lose yourself in being a mom because you this is new to you and you're doing it for the first time by the time you have your second you're like oh yeah he's crying yes it's going to be okay don't worry Oh you ate something from the floor? Yeah, sure, it's fine, right? You become much more relaxed, right? And I'm sure by the time you have 3, 4, 5 kids, you're just like, are you alive? Okay, good. Yeah, fine. Let's keep going. <laughs> you take care of yourself, right? And then you get your older kids to take care of the younger ones or something. And I think that that's sort of the model that I've I've used as well, um where a lot of the learnings from from my first company have gone into the second company and a lot of the structures that i have in terms of accountant in terms of law lawyers in terms of suppliers of materials and different things right um all come from who i already have right so i'm like oh yeah so for example in skill up right we were supposed to, so we have a, a program manager and you know she was having some difficulties putting a, a um a job description together right so i said oh call my my hr person at futuresoft and you know she'll give you a template and she'll help you do this right so my team members know that i sort of see all the companies as one so you can be called to come you know you may be my head of design at futuresoft but you're creating slogans for onesies that will be sold at always me right simply because i sort of just i'm like okay well we have that here so we'll take it from here we have that here we'll take it from here um and and i think i've been blessed with a really you know with many amazing team members across the different teams um and and what i've tried to do as well is so for example always me and futuresoft actually sit in the same when we were still working physically we sit in the same in the same building so we have this big open plan office that we've divided into two on one side is the tailoring workshop right and on the other side is an office space where our always me managers sit and the futuresoft people sit um and you know some of the people from my other companies sit there as well so you always have these different people that i have around um and and you know we we do our tgif team buildings christmas parties and everything together so it's one big family and i think that's you know sort of back to you know your initial question about the lessons from my parents it's also one of the lessons that i learned is to just be inclusive and you know sort of bring different people together and you know it doesn't matter whether or oh, you're a graduate you're not a graduate you're all doing work that the other person is not able to do so you also need to value the work that the other person does and not look down on a person because of the person's status because the person has a skill that you don't have right they have just chosen a different path yeah. in life yeah. right um and it doesn't mean that they are going to be less or more successful 
than you. And I think that working with me, you will meet all sorts of different people and be exposed to all sorts of different things because I have so many different interests. Especially when I first started Always Me, people were just like, so a lot of people were thought it was my sister's business. My sister and I run the business together. Um, but people just thought, oh, she must be helping her sister because they didn't know my sister or what she did, right? So they were like, oh, that's probably her sister's business, right? And then they're like, so like you, you're like, okay, so but she's in tech? How? So at the beginning, it was a little bit hard to explain to people how, you know, you can have these two businesses that are not related and so, so sort of different. Um, I think the other businesses that I have are a little bit more technology focused or marketing focused. So it's a bit easier to wrap your head around them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, for me, they're all, you know, sort of beautiful businesses um, and and allow me to have multiple sides to me, multiple expressions. And and I think that, that I thrive on sort of having to juggle it all right I, I don't think I could just just do future soft like I think I would just be bored um, like this I get to have you know sort of like when maybe I'm sort of stuck on like a client strategy or something I'm like okay let me go design some baby products and let me you know play around with some fabric and that sort of totally so it's like it clears my head you know it's still um you know brings money and it brings joy to a lot of people as well and we've had a lot of amazing clients um you know who like just a few days ago there was a lady who you know she I think her kids must be maybe like five and seven now um and she had this picture of her one of her kids learning like numbers or something on one of our play mats and you know, we sent a message and we were like, wow, you're still using this playmat. This is amazing. And she's like that, you know, her daughter loves it so much. And she's had it since she was a baby and she doesn't want to let it go. And, you know, that it's still so beautiful and still looks like new. And she's like, it just speaks to the quality, um, you know, of and durability of, of your product, right? And those type of, you know, moments just make you super happy because as opposed to offering a service, yeah, you sort of see the impact of the service because like, okay, you've built a brand or you've helped a, a customer position themselves online. But I think this is a bit different because it's like, yeah. it just, you know, um, brings people so much joy and it continues to bring them joy over um, over many years, right? And it's, they're very unique um, products that we, that we create. I have to agree. My my friend still has her playmat. I bought it for for her. She had twins. Her sons are five now, and she still wow. has the playmat. You know, it's it's amazing how you know the, the impact you can have. This has been an amazing conversation. I've I've been taking notes even as we've <laughs> been chatting. I'm taking you know, so much to learn. Um, so I wanted to, to end. I normally end with some reflection and some advice. So. Okay. In terms of reflecting, just what do you think has been the most fulfilling thing about all these businesses you've been building on the continent? Um, I think the impact, right, um, and and how the work that I've done has impacted people, and um, you know, and and this can be a woman coming up to me at a conference and saying, "Hey, I just wanted to tell you, I'm now a developer. You came to speak at this girls in tech camp." 
a few years ago and you gave a career talk and I'm here because of you, yeah. right? Or it can be something as big as, you know, when I was appointed to the board of Stambik IBTC Holdings PLC, a lot of people, both male and female, reached out, right? The women reached out and they're like, you know, this is not just your win, right? right. You know that this is for all of us. Um, and, and the men reached out and, and a lot of the men were from the tech industry and they were like, you have shown us how to transcend, Right. Um, and, you know, when you're going through these experiences in your mind, it's just like, well, this is part of my journey. Um, and it's super exciting. Of course, you're super happy about, you know, the opportunity that has been given to you, um, you know, and, and the fact that the work that you've done has t- taken you on the path to have access to that type of opportunity. But you, a lot of the time, or at least I, a lot of the time forget that, there are other people watching and I also a lot of the time forget that some of the achievements that I've been able to, 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 to make or, or create or whatever um, are things that a lot of my peers are, you know, sort of are like, wow, okay, but how old are you really? You sit on the board of a bank, right? Um, and I think those experiences and just being aware of the fact that, there are people watching, there are people who take motivation and inspiration from your own wins. Um, you know, I think that is extremely rewarding. Hmm. But also makes you know that you have a huge responsibility in um, continuing on that trajectory and continuing to create impact, to create opportunities for others. Um, and I think also the people that you meet along the way um, are just amazing, right? So yesterday I was chatting with a friend and, you know, I was saying to him how I'm in so many amazing networks, right? I'm one of the um, 2019 Obama Africa leaders. I'm one of the 2019 um, most influential people of African descent. And those are two just absolutely amazing networks where you have all these amazing Africans or people of African descent in these networks who are doing amazing, amazing things where every day we're celebrating, you know, oh, this person, you know, is now in government and this person is, you know, now the president of this bank or is doing this, is doing that. And these are people that are my age or maybe a little bit older sometimes, sometimes younger. Um, and just being in that type of network where you are constantly challenged by the work that other people do and constantly inspired by the work that other people do um, makes you know that there is still so much work to be done, right? Um, But it also gives you so much strength and so much inspiration to want to do more and, you know, also allows you to really understand how privileged you are to be able to connect with these people um, share ideas with them, learn from them, you know, network and, you know, sort of just really exchange um, experiences and knowledge. And mm-hmm. I think for me, you know, those, the people along the journey, um, you know, have been one of the sort of greatest gifts of, of this, you know, sort of um, maybe a little bit unconventional path that I've chosen for myself. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I think it's the impact and and the people really that that have been the reward of of the journey. Fantastic. So so if you could give one piece of advice 
to other female entrepreneurs in Africa, what, what would that be? Sit at the table. (laughs) (laughs) Be bold. And I think a lot of women sort of suffer from imposter syndrome. The truth is the women who are at the top, we're all afraid. We're just doing it afraid. Um, We're wearing our game face every single day, but we're scared. And, you know, we've never done this. Sometimes we don't even have a role model before us that has done it before right and I think just knowing that this is not just for you you need to push so that your daughters your nieces your friends kids your goddaughters opportunities that you did not have you need to shatter those glass ceilings you need to boss up and sit at that table make decisions you need to make sure that there are more women in the room. You need to make sure that you build that network of women that will support you, that will rally around, that will ensure that you win, right? Um, and, and and also make sure that you have a network of boys that come around and make you win as well, because I think that that's really important, um, especially when you're in a male-dominated industry. You cannot just go in there and be like, oh, hey, here I am. Shiny and, <laughs> shiny and girly. Um, and they'll be like, yeah, who are you? What do you want here? Um, so you need to make friends, um, you know, that sit around that table and make sure that you have a, a space, right? Um, I think also part of that is doing excellent work 100% of the time so that your work speaks louder than your presence. And when people you know, say, oh, we need someone who's an expert in this, your name gets called because of the work that you've done. So yeah, I think that's my my advice. Don't dim your light for anyone and just shine bright. Make sure that you give Ray-Bans to other people so that they don't get blinded by it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kim. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you're not already subscribed, please do so on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to leave us a review so we know how we're doing. I'm Akego Koye, and you have been listening to African Business Stories.